morning. So, each week Pastor Michael has been asking us to read the chapters that he's going to be preaching through. And so, we have the, the books that he gave us, the uh, Isaiah scripture journals, that we're able to take the notes in. And before we were in Isaiah, we were in Colossians. And uh, each week we read, you know, like what, a couple verses, a paragraph or so. And if we were confused as to what, what it was talking about, we could, we could always just read the whole book, right? You know, it was like, it was like that thick, right? And then, then he gave us Isaiah. And the scripture journal is like as thick as my whole Bible. Font's a little bigger, maybe. But, uh, so, I, as I've been reading through Isaiah each week and preparing, and as I, uh, for, for hearing the message on Sunday, and, and as I read through chapter 6 this week and preparing for this week, I, I, I think I kept identifying more and more with the Ethiopian in uh, Acts chapter 8, where the, he comes, the evangelist Philip comes along him as he's in his chariot and asks him, do you understand what you're reading? Because he's reading from the book of Isaiah. And he says, how can I unless someone guides me? I feel that way. He was reading Isaiah 53. He's 53 chapters in, and he is reading it, and he's going, who's this talking about? That's, that's what I feel like at chapter 6, and I only had to reread chapters 1 through 5. But uh, as, we, as we dive in here, let's, uh, let's pray as we seek to understand what God would have us to learn and apply from chapter 6. God, thank you so much for allowing us to be here this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who indwells in us and who gives us the ability to understand what you have written. God, I pray that as we seek to understand more about who you are, what you have done for us through the passage in Isaiah 6, that you would help us to apply it to our lives, to honor and glorify you with it because of your holiness, God. Praise in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so to review, just last week in chapter 5, Pastor Michael, he divided into the love song and the woes. And I want to review this just a little bit because of the impact it has here in chapter 6. And, and he talked about the love song in the first part of chapter 5 and how God had cared and provided for the vineyard, which was Israel. The northern tribes, the southern tribes, was all of Israel. But yet he received the unjustified results, the wild grapes, the bitter grapes. They, they were no good. And he asked the question, what more could have I done, which is in a way, a rhetorical question, he couldn't have done anything more. He had done everything. And then his response to all this was that he was going to destroy it. He was going to allow it to be destroyed. And then he talked about the woes, the six woes, the woes of materialism and pleasure, blatant sin, morality reversed, pride and injustice. And at the end of talking about these, he asked us questions. And most of them centered around the idea of talking about love and care and provision, and the love and care and provision that God has for us. In children's church, this past month and a half, we have been talking about two themes. God is in control, and God cares about the heart of man. He cares about our heart. And as, we, as I dove into chapter 6, as I've been hearing through Isaiah, these two themes come standing out so boldly to me again. One, he is in control, and two, he cares for the heart of man. In children's church, we saw this in Jonah. Jonah went and delivered the message, and God saves the people of Nineveh. And that could have been the end of the story, but instead, he goes out to watch, Jonah does, to watch the destruction, which doesn't happen. And God could have just left him there. But God cares about his heart, and so he talks him through why he had saved them. 
and what his purpose is. God is in control in that he could take out a city like Nineveh, and yet he can also spare it. So with these two themes, let's look in chapter 6 of Isaiah. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train, or the hem of his robe, filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hands a burning coal, and he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. So number one here, in verses 1 through 7, we see Isaiah's vision and atonement. And if you have chapter headings over your Bible, you might see that 1 through 7 are, are marked off as Isaiah's vision of the Lord. But I think it's very important that we add and atonement, his atonement, because that is a big part of it. So verses 1 through 7, I've broke down into, into a simple way for me to try to understand what is going on here. And I've asked the question, who, what, when, where, and why? So the who of, this, of these verses, who, who is here? Isaiah, Isaiah. We have Isaiah, the prophet of God. We have King Uzziah is uh, the king at the time. He, it just says he's died. We have God in this, the Lord of hosts, the king, the Lord of hosts. And we also have the seraphim. And we have the nation of Israel, or Judah, when he talks about I dwell in the midst of people. So that's the who of these verses. The what is a vision. Here is a vision that Isaiah is having, a vision from the Lord. When? Well, in verse 1, we get an indication. Chapter 1 through 5 has been a, a generic, an overlay, a, a broad view of what's going on and what's happening from the good to the bad, from all that God has done to what will happen and their desolation that will come. And then in chapter 6, it gives us a marking with a time. In the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah was a strong king of Judah. He was someone who, um, who had, been, had been leading the nation of Israel or Judah strong. He had protected them. He had been a, a righteous king. Until towards the end of his life, when he, when he violated his responsibility as king and took over priestly duties and becomes... Is cast out and is living in judgment at the end of his life. Isaiah could have seen the death of Uzziah as a bad sign of what was to come. Isaiah was protecting them from the Assyrians who were going to attack them. Isaiah was the one protecting them. But we'll see in stark contrast, chapter 5, the reality of that. Where? It says, The Lord, sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, his robe filled the temple. So he's on a throne in a temple. And Likely, this would have been the temple in Jerusalem that Isaiah would have been familiar with. But the text doesn't give us any more. So we come to why. Why this vision? Why is God sending him this vision? And I have three things here. One is to show the majesty of God. One is to show that how holy and how mighty and how powerful he is, how in control he is in all of the world. 
In verse 1, it gives us a description of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The hem of his robe filled the temple. That's it. That's where the description stops. It doesn't say what kind of robe or what he looked like or what his face was like. Not very unsimilar to Exodus chapter 24, where, again, it's talking about seeing the Lord. They describe the, the pavement of which he's standing on and the magnificence of it, but then they don't describe the Lord himself. It's as if there are no words to describe the holiness of God. No human words that we can understand. So we see his majesty as he was on a throne. We see it as the seraphim worshipped him. We see in verses 2 through 4, above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. They sing of his holiness. In that time, and in the Hebrew, the word holiness could mean set apart, cut off, something different, distinct, and that is what God is. He is out of this world. He is so separate from this world, but it wasn't just one time that they said holy, and it wasn't just two where we see in other parts of scripture, for example, in 2 Kings, where in our English translation, we read pure gold, but the literal Hebrew translation is gold, gold, a double of the same word to express importance. But here, in the only place in the Old Testament we read where they repeat three times, holy, holy, holy. It's called the Trisagion. And again, we saw it in Revelation chapter 4 that Pastor Michael read early. It is a super superlative, expressing how important. Human words can't do it, so let's just keep adding to them to try to get there. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then in verse 4, Everything shakes and smoke fills the place. At the sound of their voice, the foundation of the threshold shook and the house was filled with smoke. We'll come back to the smoke in just a moment. So one, to show his majesty. He was on a throne. The seraphim were worshiping him. Two, it was to open Isaiah's eyes to his own sinfulness. If you remember in chapter 5, what he was calling out the sinfulness of the nation of Judah. They had materialism. They were into self-pleasure, and they were blatantly singing against God. They had pride. And what does he say here as he sees God? In verse 5, he says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. Now this lost isn't, you took a wrong turn, heading out of the city, and you got to do a U-turn, you turn around. This isn't, you got lost, hiking in the backyard and you need to pull out your GPS and find your way back. Another translator put, put it, I am silenced, or I am put to death. There's no returning. I am beyond saving. I am lost. I am lost for eternity. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. Why lips? Well, in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Luke writes, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The lips are, are the symbol of what's in our heart. We know that what people say is what's in their heart, right? You can know someone by their words. And there's also greater significance that we'll see further on about Isaiah's lips. I am lost because of my unclean lips. 
Woe is me, for I am lost. Just like the people I live with, just like the people that I dwell in the midst of, they have unclean lips, their hearts are not pure, their hearts are into all these wicked things. I am just like them. I am no better than them. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, the true King. Contrast this King with the King in verse 1, King Uzziah, a man. Someone who the nation of uh, Judah had been placed, had placed their faith and trust in. He's protected us. Has he? Or is the true King, the true King of Judah, the true King of the world, the Lord of hosts, Yahweh? Where is our focus? Is our focus on an earthly king, something that can save us here on earth, or is our focus on God, the true God? To open, so one, to show the majesty of God, to open Isaiah's eyes of his own sinfulness, and then for his atonement. Verses 6 through 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. The hot coal in verse 6. Fire, commentators note that in the Old Testament, it is not cleansing. It is not a cleansing agent. It is not a purifying of fire, but it is an active, sometimes hostile holiness of God. Think of the flaming swords that God put outside the Garden of Eden to keep the mankind from entering it. Or when Moses encountered the burning bush that God spoke through. In Numbers 11, 1 through 3, we see that God is a consuming fire. In Deuteronomy, we read multiple times how the voice of God came through fire, came from fire. The nation of Israel was led by what? A, a, pill, a cloud of smoke during the day and a pillar of fire at night. This coal that came from an altar. Think of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming from an altar, the cross. Because in verse 7, and it says, and he touched my mouth, or my heart, and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Here he sees this fire coming at him, this coal. It's going to consume me. I am dreadfully wicked. I am sinful. Woe is me. I'm done for. I'm lost. Here comes this coal at me. And instead, the seraphim touches his lips with it, and he is atoned for. His sin is washed away. It is paid for. It is redeemed. John chapter 12, verses 37 through 43 say this. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. This is speaking of Jesus. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, "He he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart lest they see in their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believe in him. 
But for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of them. Christ is the one who saves us when he redeems our heart, when he atones for our sins, just as the coal atoned for Isaiah's. Then we come to verse 8. Actually, let me back up. So how do we see that God is in control and that he cares for man's heart in this first section of the chapter? His holiness is so great that it fills the whole earth. He is in control of everything. He cares about Isaiah's heart. He cares about the heart of Isaiah when Isaiah self-admittedly says that I deserve destruction, I am lost, and God atones for his sin. He cares for Isaiah. So the second one, the commission. The commission of Isaiah. So first we saw the, the vision and the atonement of Isaiah. Second, we come to the commission of Isaiah. Verse 8 through 13. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. If I'm being honest, that's where most of the messages I've ever heard on Isaiah end. Right there. One through eight. But let's continue on. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and the blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled, the holy seed is its stump. That's quite the commission that Isaiah has here. Look at it three ways. His call, his message, and his question. His call in verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Here now, he has been seeing God. He's seen the, the holiness of God. He has experienced the seraphim as they have worshipped and given reverence and sang of the Lord. But here he hears the Lord for the first time. After he has been atoned for, he hears the voice, the voice of the Lord. And he's asking, who will go for us? The us here is not speaking of God and the seraphim around him, but more so God himself and, and pointing to the Trinity. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What is Isaiah's response to this call? Here I am, send me. There's a humbleness about his here I am, send me. Not I've got this, I can do this, I'm the best person, but just a here I am, send me, a willingness, a humble willingness to go. And then, he hears what his message is. His message in verse 9. And God said, go and say to this people, this people, elsewhere we read of Judah as being my people, but they have gone so far from God that he refers to them as this people. 
They were his vineyard. But they've gone so far. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. It sounds terrible. How is this justified by God? How is this the message that Isaiah is supposed to be giving? Why can't he be giving a message that is full of grace and mercy and how God is going to save his people and he will redeem them and he is going to care for them, pour into them? Well, you know, if Isaiah had had a very nice, light, fluffy message, maybe people would have turned and followed him. Maybe people would have rallied around him. This is great. King Uzziah has died. He, we thought he was our protector, but that's okay. We've got God. He's going to do all this for us. But what? They would have been stuck in rote religion. Their hearts would not have been changed. Just like in chapter 1, when Pastor Michael talked about God not desiring rote religion. So the message here is one that is really getting to the heart of the matter that their hearts were wicked and that they were rebellious. We see in chapter 5, this isn't something that God just decides. This is something they have brought on themselves. He is seeking to have them have a pure heart. And there is hope, because we see in verse 13, there is hope. He is not completely wiping them out. The message is one of hope, but it also is one of destruction. They will be wiped out. Cities will lie in waste. So his call, his message, and his question. In verse 11, verse 11, his question. Then I said, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? This is a sad, saddened Isaiah. Remember, these are the people he lives with. These are his people. How long do I have to preach this message? How long before you will stop their blindness? Before you will stop their hardened hearts? Before you will awaken them? And his response is this. Cities lie in waste. Houses are empty. The land is desolate. But in verse 13... We see at the end of verse 13, the hope whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Just like in the New Testament, when the New Testament writers talk about Jesus as the vine and all the branches get stripped away. But the holiness is in in Christ. Christ, the Messiah, through the Jewish seed is the hope that they will be restored. How do we see that God is in control and that he cares? Well, he's in control in the fact that he can wipe out the nation of Judah. He can lay waste the land. He can leave it desolate. But how does he show that he cares for their hearts? By exactly this, by doing this. And by providing a way, by promising hope in the holy seed so i have three questions for us to ask as we close three questions for us to ask 
Three things that we can learn, kind of encompass what we learn and can apply from this passage. One is, have you ever accepted the good news? Verse 13, the good news that the holy seed is in its stump. The good news that there is a redeemer coming and that ultimately we see that in the gospels with Jesus Christ. Remember at the beginning I said I, I was more identifying with the Ethiopian who was saying, what is this talking about? Well, what he was reading was Isaiah 53, and what he asks is, who is this talking about that's going to save his people? Is he talking about Isaiah, or is he talking about someone else? And Philip responds, he's talking about Jesus, and this is who Jesus is, and this is what he has done. He came to earth, he lived the perfect life, he did not sin, and yet he was crucified, killed on a cross, he took our punishment he took our sin upon himself and he atoned for us with his death on the cross have you ever accepted that good news have you ever recognized your need for a savior and are you continuing to remember that that you you place your hope and your faith in christ two are you placing your hope in the fact that god the king the true king or man, just a king, is in control. Are you placing your hope in the fact that God or man is in control? The people of Judah, and maybe even Isaiah at one point, were placing their hope in Uzziah, a man. A man who let them down. A man who was in exile, basically, and was under judgment when he dies. Or are you placing your hope and the one who is capable of atoning for our sins. The hope that he is in control. Pastor Michael read Revelation chapter 4. The very last verse in that chapter, chapter 4 verse 11 is, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you have created all things, and for your purpose they are and were created. Are you placing your hope in the fact that God is in control? He is the creator of all things. He has a purpose for all things. Number three, do you know what, that God loves you? That he cares for your heart? This is why he did what he did in destroying them. He was seeking to get to their heart, to change their heart, not just have rote religion, not just have the sacrifices done each and every time they were supposed to be done, but actually have a heart of the people who were towards him, to have a fruit in his vineyard that was pleasing to him will one day be judged by God. But thankfully, we have the cross. We have Jesus Christ who took our sin upon himself and that when God looks at us, he sees his perfect, holy son. Thankfully, we have the cross. Do you know that God loves you? So have you ever accepted the good news? Are you placing your hope in the fact that God is in control? And do you know that God cares for you and that he loves you? For those of you that have kids downstairs in children's church, ask them how they have seen that over and over through scripture over these past couple weeks. Share with them how you saw it today through the book of Isaiah. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you so much for allowing us to be here this morning. We thank you for who you are, what you have done for us. Even as we see your character come through in the book of Isaiah and specifically in chapter 6, God, of how you are in control. You are so holy 
indescribably. God, I pray that we would have that in mind as our view of you, that we would, even as the seraphim, have reverence and respect, have a desire to worship you because of who you are. The Lord of hosts, the King of kings, God. I pray that you would help us remember that as we go through our week. God, I pray that you would also help us to remember how much you love us, how much you care for us, how much you desire to see the hearts of man changed towards you. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts this week, that you continue to work in our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit, that we would be on honor and glorify you through our actions as you deserve all honor and glory and power. God, I pray that you would be with the children that are downstairs, that you would as you're teaching them, even this morning through your word, I pray that they would be seeing these truths as well. I pray that as we go this home this week, that you would give us opportunities to share of your love with those that we come across, whether virtually or in person. God, I pray that you would bless our study in Isaiah as we continue on through the book. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.